I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host, Julie, and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today, Kate Stark, a baby calm and toddler calm consultant, tells us about family consciousness. This episode is packed with fascinating subjects such as risk assessing and judgment calls, co-sleeping, that there is no one-size-fits-all. Pregnancy expectations versus reality, why it's important to teach consent early on, and breastfeeding issues and second opinions. I really hope you will enjoy this episode. You can find us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily positive education contents. And also as a little reminder, we have a website. It's thebubblingadventure.com. So you can find the latest news, some blogs, the transcript of the episodes, and for example, like also pictures of all the guests, if you're curious. But without further ado, let's begin. Hi, Kate. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. You? Oh, good. Happy to be chatting with you today. But could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so I'm Kate. I run Be Carried. I'm a calm family consultant. I'm mum to Benjamin, who's five, and I'm wife to Adam, and we've been together now for 20 years, so quite a long time. And I know your, pa- your, your listeners probably all know this, but parenting is quite hard, isn't it? Um, (laughs) and and yeah the ones that are already parents are nodding along going yes very hard Um, and the ones that aren't that are listening in are thinking yeah I think that's what I'm starting to understand now and I know when we talked last time you were like yeah the more I think about it the the more I realize that parenting isn't this simple dream and easy thing so I want to be the lighthouse illuminating your way so that you can find your way through different the different choices in parenting find calm find contentment and basically have a connected family life. So I run workshops, courses, private consultations, and also I educate a lot on social media and I have a blog. So basically helping parents who are feeling overwhelmed. 
we do a lot, I do a lot of stuff around baby and toddler behaviors, development, theory, and also practical skills. So it's quite varied. Right. So you basically are super busy all around parenting subjects. So it's very interesting. But what actually sparked your interest in that field? If you want to tell a little bit more about your journey and how you yeah, started. So I, I don't. I don't know that many people that, that get into this role necessarily expect it. It's like, if you'd asked me before Benjamin was born, I would have told you, I'm never going to be self-employed. I'm never going to have my own business. I'm going to work for somebody because then I can leave my work at work. So I kind of fell into it in a kind of random way. So when I was pregnant with Benjamin, I went along to a sling meet. So um, I don't know if you know about sling meets, uh, but basically... Baby wearing is quite big where I am. I live near Sheffield. And it's basically ways of carrying your child strapped to your body in various different kind of devices. And we have quite a lot of libraries, certainly around the UK. I know there's quite a few in the States as well. But basically, you can go along to a library session. They show you how to use the various different types of carriers. And then you can hire one that you can use. So you don't have to buy one straight away because a lot of the mainstream carriers they're not as comfortable to use. So I went along to one of those where I met a lady called Amy, who literally changed my life in so many ways. So it opened me up to a whole community. It opened me up to a big support network that I never knew that was there. And after Benjamin was born, Amy and I connected regularly on, mainly on Facebook through the, the uh, baby wearing groups. And when Adam went back to work after his paternity leave, so we get two weeks here in the UK, when he went back, I hated being at home alone all day, every day. So I wanted to be out as much as I could, but breastfeeding wasn't easy and we were struggling. And so one of the only places I felt like I could go was the sling meets because you could turn up whenever you wanted. You didn't have to come at a, like it was a two hour session. You could kind of just drop in when you wanted. You didn't need an appointment. We, I, there were actually four libraries close to me. We actually have one of the world's kind of renowned baby wearing experts here in Sheffield, mm-hmm. um, Rosie, who's written an amazing book. So if you're interested in this subject, there's an amazing book called Why Baby Wearing Matters. And she was one of the libraries and then Amy had one of the libraries and there was a couple of other libraries. And I was just going to these meetings at least once a week, sometimes two or more times a week because there were different libraries dotted around. And it was kind of my social network. And then I think Rosie suggested to me because I was going so often and she had a peer supporter training. Why don't you peer support? You might as well help and volunteer because you're basically doing that anyway. But you might as well get some kind of um, formal training. So I did that. And then by the time Benjamin was six months, I'd actually completed the full consultancy training. So I'm a fully qualified baby wearing consultant. And then when I went back to work, I went back part time and was still volunteering at least once a week with Amy's library and slowly (laughs) kind of um, getting to realize that the sling meets were about so much more than just the baby wearing and kind of soaking up all the questions and all of the different advice that was coming from around everyone and then life just carried trundling along as it does and then suddenly COVID hit and the world changed I was made redundant I didn't we were in a bit of a weird place because we live on a new build estate Benjamin was due to start school in the September and the school wasn't actually finished being built 
and they were talking about busing mm. them half an hour away. These are five-year-olds going on buses. So it was like, either you can send them on the school bus or you can drive them there. Half an hour at rush hour traffic. Um, well, half an hour, not at rush hour traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was, a bit, it was a bit of a, I don't think I can get a standard job. I don't think at this time with the pandemic being at its height. So I'd already fallen in love with essential oils. I've been using them for a while. And a friend suggested, well, why don't you see if you can make just, you know, a little bit of pocket money selling them? So I started selling them. And every single person I helped, I was helping with wider parenting questions. I just kept getting, I get people would open up to me, they'd tell me about their troubles and I would listen. And and the more and more I thought about it, the more and more it made sense. And then Calm Family, who were an organization I was already familiar with and loved their ethos put out some dates for online training and because it was online it was a bit more affordable I didn't have to be away I just took the plunge um, and did the training in February this year and that's how I ended up where I am now really mm. so <laughs> bit of a, <laughs> a roller <random>. coaster <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's still I mean it's still like very much linked to parenting and I think it's so nice that you like got really back into it through your your passion so I think it's very interesting and I see that you have different uh, workshops you have preparing to parents baby calm and other workshops but so for example like I don't know essential oils very very well I do hear that sometimes it's not recommended for pregnant women but is it like only a few of them or how you use them or can you please tell us a bit a little bit more on how it can actually help So, yeah, so there's certain oils you shouldn't use during pregnancy. So uh, clary sage, for example, um, is linked with uterine contractions. So you shouldn't use it during your pregnancy up until labor. It's absolutely amazing to use in labor, but you shouldn't use it before labor. There's also there's also some question marks around peppermint and breastfeeding and, and potential for it to decrease your breast milk. But other than that, most oils, if they, if you don't have a, so there's, there's obviously oils have quite a profound effect on you. So the, the first thing when you're pregnant, you should always go down to baby dose. So you use a different dilution ratio with babies that you would use with an, a full adult. And when you're pregnant, you become particularly susceptible, particularly sensitive, especially to smell. So mm. you, we generally recommend that you drop down. There's a great essential oil midwife that I use a lot of her recommendations. A lot of hospitals now are starting to use aromatherapy within their wards, especially the midwife-led ones. They can be really calming, which is something that is really helpful during um, labour particularly. One thing I tend not to recommend overly is using them around newborns just from the Mm. point of view of smell. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to put a barrier between the smell of the caregivers and the smell of the baby. So if you it's not that they're not safe to use necessarily. It's just like like everything, all of these rules in parenting. So you're here. Don't do this. Don't do that. Whatever. A lot of them are just kind of arbitrarily made up. It's unethical to test anything on pregnant people or babies. Mm. So most things that you're using on babies, especially under three months old, haven't actually been tested on babies under three months old. So, and the same is true with essential oils. The other thing with essential oils is that there is so much adulteration and 
variance in the quality of the oils that are available, that it's all about trusting the oils you're using. Um, so a lot of mainstream oils have a lot of adulteration. So I can't remember the exact stat, but bergamot is a, a good example where there's something like 25 tonnes of bergamot oil sold, or the equivalent in, in oil sold, but only about six tonnes of it actually produced a year. Mm. so there's so much more sold than is produced that the, the only answer for that is somebody is adulterating it a lot of people are adulterating it and they're basically so the oil has other things in it so if it's got something else in it then I wouldn't want to put it on me let alone my baby um yeah. so I think it's one of the things about parenting is it's always a judgment call it's all so <laughs> I always talk about non-judgmental parenting, but it's about not judging somebody else's parenting. It's not about there being no judgment because parenting is all about judgment. It's all about risk assessing. Every day as a parent, you're, you're risk assessing whether it's safer to do one thing or another. And one of the differences between um, my courses and quite a lot of the mainstream courses is a lot of the mainstream courses will tell you what to do, whereas I will give you information i will basically mm -hmm. tell you the the research and the information out there about the way that your child's brain is developing sids is a really good example of this with co-sleeping so most experts tell you you shouldn't co-sleep and it's dangerous so i was writing a blog recently and i found some unicef stats and um these are back from 2017 and they're uk based but there were 183 babies died of SIDS in 2017, which it was accounted for 0.03%. So it's a very, very small percentage, but it happens and, it, and it's devastating for those families mm. that it happens to. 50% of them were classified as co-sleeping deaths. 50% were classified as cot or Moses basket deaths. But then when you drill down into those co-sleeping stats, 90% of those ch children that died based as co-sleeping, 90% of those died in what would be classified as hazardous situations. So they weren't safely co-sleeping in a bed. They were the parents mm. that had been told not to co-sleep, so were desperately feeding their baby in the middle of the night in a chair and fell asleep and the baby died, falling into the crack of the chair. They were the people who were so tired and they felt they they were lying on the sofa because it's not the bed so it must be safe and the baby fell off the bed those kinds of situations so 90 percent. so actually of all of the deaths that happened from SIDS only five percent were in what would be classified as a safe co-sleeping environment as opposed mm -hmm. to 50 percent sleeping in a cot or Moses basket which is exactly where we are told to put our babies and those kind of stats they really shock you and especially when you realize that this is forcing like these taboos that we have around things like co-sleeping co are actually putting more babies at risk. Yeah. And if we if we gave that information out more freely and explained it more more clearly um, and classified things differently as well. I know there's just been a study in the States that they've only released the abstract of. They haven't actually released the study yet, only the abstract and it's talking about baby carriers. But again, it's, it's including things within that baby carriers, like carriers where you're holding a, like car seats. It's including car seats. And a lot of children die in car seats every year around the world 
because parents leave them in the car seat when they come in and they don't undo this they undo the straps and then they slump and these kinds of things they're not talked about in in an empowering way they're talked about in a very disempowering way it's very Mm. much don't do this it's not here's the information that will help you make your own decision yeah yeah I think there's a lot of strong opinions around you know and it's one of the subjects where people are not afraid to share everything they think <laughs> but at the beginning it's it's confusing to to know which one to follow to you know there's a lot of guilt and um i think it's horrible that some parents also just feel like oh no i can't tell anyone that because i feel like oh so guilty that i that i screamed at my child or something you know like whatever but um it's the truth is nobody's perfect and it's everybody needs to figure it out but it's hard when everybody gives their opinion everywhere yeah and it is opinion as well a lot of the time it's opinion that is then mm-hmm. touted out as facts yeah uh, especially some of the the so-called experts they're they're not really experts they're just people who maybe maybe some of them are parents some of them aren't even parents but some of them are parents who it worked for them so it must work for everybody and it just yeah. doesn't work like that I rem- I know I always think like this, the parenting manuals that you get like that what to expect when you're expecting and things like that I always think well it wasn't right when I was pregnant so why should it have been right when I had the baby it, it talked about and, and some people some people listening might might understand this and some people might be like oh poor you but during my pregnancy I didn't have really bad morning sickness which is lucky that's great what mm-hmm. I did have was what what I also didn't have was the magical second trimester so everybody hears about this magical second trimester where you're glowing and you feel have so much energy and you're brilliant no I was just tired and nauseous from day one of pregnancy to 42 plus one weeks the mm. whole time I was shattered and it was just preparing me and all that kind of stuff that people tell you but I really didn't need to be prepared for the lack of sleep because then it just built on to lack of sleep once Benjamin was born and didn't sleep <laughs> so it, you know it's it's those things it's those kind of expectations that we put on pregnancy and the first few hours after birth you'll have this magical experience with your child and some people do and it's not to knock though I'm not knocking the people that do but everybody is different and every baby and every parent and every relationship is different and if we try to shoehorn everyone into one answer fits everyone it just won't work yeah and also even after you know it's one thing to prepare yourself for pregnancy, for delivery, for the first few months after, but the, all these advice, they apply to, as you said, one kid, you know, like someone might have one kid and be like, okay, that works. And as we actually talked about before, sometimes when people have the second one, they're like, oh, <laughs> I, I cannot just apply the same recipe and it, it, it doesn't really work the same. And so that's why it's like every kid is different. So it's good. I know most people mean well when they give loads of advice that are now considered as facts, uh, but you don't actually know what it is on a daily basis. Like you don't know the kids as well as the parents do or are trying to, you know, uh, their head around. But um, that's the the main thing is that it it must be hard for you then also to just 
that's that's why the information technique works well is because a lot of the time you're gonna hear something you know on the moment you might be a bit like okay and then once the situation happens you're like oh I remember this information so it kind of helps me make my decision now yeah and many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And one of the things that we provide as part of the training that I give, I don't just give you a, uh, like, here's a load of science, have it, go away with it. I also provide frameworks around which you can help you to make decisions. So frameworks around looking at sense, looking at needs and looking at senses and kind of, there's kind of several frameworks based on whether or not it's something that you're going into and preparing for or whether it's something you're in the middle of. So when you're when you're preparing, you can be a lot more thoughtful and you can spend more time and you can like when you're getting ready to wean, you can think about all these things and work out how you're going to do it. But when you're in the middle of a toddler tantrum in the middle of Tesco's, you don't have time to work through all of those things. You need to have some kind of quick responses and quick answers. So we kind of have different frameworks based on what the needs of the situation are. So those frameworks can then be applied to everything across parenting and although we um so my my teaching is up to school age so so the baby age is one zero to well pre-birth as as you mentioned which I do preparing to parent and then through baby age up to one and then the toddler age is from one up to five mm-hmm. um because that's the point at which the brain has started to make some quite significant changes at some point there might be other programs coming out for older children but at the moment that's that's my focus but I still use those same techniques 
on Benjamin, who's five, nearly six. And I won't stop using them because he's turned six. I won't go, well, it only counts up to five. Once they're five, no, no. Mm -hmm. The stuff you do, and the earlier you do stuff, the easier it is to do. So like autonomy is a really great thing to talk about because it can feel really strange when you're changing your baby's nappy to ask for permission to change their nappy. But if you do it when they're that tiny, as they get older and as as they're like five, six and they're starting to understand, it doesn't feel odd anymore because you've always done it and it's embedded and it's and they're used to it and you're used to it. And they realize that you're asking permission for something, but there's a reason behind you doing it. You're, You're not just randomly wanting to touch them. And the same is true of like playing games and things, especially with toddlers. They're, you know, when you play tickling games or when they, you go to hug them, if they don't want it and they tell you they don't want it and you do it anyway, they are going to learn that it doesn't, saying no doesn't mm-hmm. mean no. And so embedding that in from a really early age of if they say stop or no, you stop and you make it clear that you're doing it because they've told you to. And that will then embed them with that sense of no means no, stop means stop. And as they get older, they'll still have that. It won't suddenly disappear. Whereas if you try to embed that when they're 10, they've already got that when they were forming more solid memories and like neurons within their brains are firing in a way that will be foundational for how they act for their entire life. And the way that we treat them and the way that we encourage them in those foundational years it's not that those behaviors can't be changed in later life but they're much harder to change in later life so if they're embedded in in those early years it becomes a lot easier and it's hard to do as a parent and a lot of things are hard to do but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try and you shouldn't aim for perfection because nobody is perfect and a lot of a lot of learning, especially with the t- within toddlers, so less so with babies, but babies start off and they can meet none of their needs. And as they get older, they start to slowly meet their needs. And as they get older, you start to fail more at meeting their needs. Mm. And that's where they learn. So if you are perfect all of the time and you, you let them do whatever they want to do, they won't learn those resilient skills. But at the same time, if you force them into those situations unnaturally, they won't learn them either. And they learn a lot more from you failing, apologizing, correcting, moving on, than they would if you just tell them, oh, it's okay to make mistakes. If you don't live the way you're trying to explain to them to live, then they won't get it. They learn so much more from the way that we do things and how we interact with them than they do from being told to do anything. Mm, that's true. Yeah, of course, they, they mirror everything. So the lesson is going to stick way more if it's on a daily basis that you apply. Like, for example, as you said, uh, about consent, about asking permission, um, even gratitude, for example, Um, if you're expressing your gratitude chances are they're going to start noticing this as well so it's yeah it's very interesting do you have an example of like a memorable experience on how for example you supported the family with a specific case or is there anything standing out so I I don't like to talk about my customers Mm because it's their 
their stories. Um, yeah. But I, I, I could share about my breastfeeding journey, which, <laughs> which was not smooth. So before I had Benjamin, I remember sitting with the health visitor and her saying to me, oh, you're going to breastfeed because that's what they do. They come around and they ask you a load of questions. And my answer was, I want to, but I am worried about my mental health because I've got ment- had mental health issues in the past. So I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. And she went, that's really good. That's a really sensible way of doing it. She then spent the next half an hour lecturing me on why breastfeeding was the best way forward and why it was so important and why I should do it and why it mattered. And I'd read all of that already. I already knew it all because I'd read Mm -hmm. all the books. I literally read every book I could get from the library. I was, you know, I I tried to learn it all before Benjamin came. I'd even read about weaning, you know, like I say, I'd gone to the sling library. I kind of thought I knew how it would go. And then he came and it didn't go like that. And he fed. So I had quite a difficult delivery, but he did feed straight away. Um, But I was totally doped up on an epidural. So I don't really remember much. I just I know he fed. But then throughout my four day stay in hospital, almost every feed I had to get a midwife to help me with. um, And they were literally just manhandling him onto me. Mm. And it was, yeah, it, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And then I went home and we were still struggling. We were doing a lot of cup feeding because I was, I'm not going to give him a bottle. I'm not going to give in. I'm, even though I'd said I wasn't going to do that, I said I was going to like respect my mental health. Yeah. We were screaming at each other. There was tears, all of us. It was horrendous. And again, mm. this is part of where Amy comes into my story. And this is part of what cemented our friendship because I was up in the middle of the night every night. It, like he was just wanting to be attached to me the whole time, but I was in absolute agony. Of and for course. those of you who haven't yet breastfed, breastfeeding should not be agony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no, no matter what anybody tells you. Yes, it, the first few days, there may be a little bit of pain, but I'm not talking a little bit of pain. I'm talking feeling like you've got knives stuck in you. It, it was agony. And she kept telling me he's got a tongue tie. He's got a tongue tie. Mm -hmm. So a few more days pass and I had to go back to the hospital for, um, well, I was on a catheter. So I had to go back to the hospital to have the catheter removed. And I had to be there for several hours. So they were like, oh, you can come and get some breastfeeding support. And they they assessed him. Oh, his latch is good. Really good latch. He's just got a bit of a short tongue. To which I thought, I, I don't know that that's a thing, but okay, I'll, mm. I'll go home, I'll carry on, you know, we'll carry on. Carried on for another, nearly another week, no, another two weeks of absolute just, and Amy kept telling me whenever I was talking to her in the groups, she just kept saying, he's got a tongue tie, he's got a tongue tie. So then I went to a La Leche meeting. So La Leche offer feeding support. And two things happened at that meeting that were massively impactful the first was she said I'm not allowed to tell you but you need to get some a second opinion because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not allowed to tell you that they're not allowed to diagnose tongue ties but in the same way as peer supporters know they know that everything that I'm saying really highlights it yeah and the other thing she started talking to me about was co-sleeping so I was one of those people I was never going to co-sleep in the first three weeks we did not co-sleep 
we but we did I just didn't realize we were doing it because I was sat in bed with this cushion or I was sat on the sofa or in the chair and he was going down but he wouldn't go down and as soon as he went down I'd have to pick him up again and she gave me all this safe co-sleeping advice and then I booked for a private consultation and had his tongue tie snipped that weekend and everything just changed like that overnight just from a little bit of somebody listening to me and giving Mm -hmm. me options and suddenly he Benjamin has never been a what would be classified as a good sleeper he's been a he's not been abnormal it's just that it's not what society expects but having somebody say to me this isn't normal but that is and actually the sleep wasn't the issue and he wasn't sleeping he doesn't he didn't sleep any differently once he'd had his tongue tie snipped but the feeling of breastfeeding was changed overnight it was literally so when they it's the weirdest thing when you get a tongue tie snipped but they literally just stick some scissors in the mouth and cut the tie Mm -hmm. with the scissors and then they stick the baby on the boob like instantly and it was like oh that doesn't hurt (laughs) it went from agony to nothing and I'm really lucky because I know a lot of other people who've had tongue ties especially that I know is like a few weeks later and it takes a transition time and the baby has to learn but he clearly had a good latch he just couldn't actually get the milk out and I had plenty of milk because I ended up donating pints of the stuff to the local milk bank so I had plenty of milk (laughs) it wasn't a supply issue just having somebody sit down with me make me feel like I wasn't doing everything wrong I'd put all the blame on myself it was my fault I was doing something wrong I wasn't feeding him properly it was my fault I had to fix it he wasn't Mm -hmm. sleeping because I wasn't feeding him actually when once she's like try this try this you know she gave me a whole load of different options it wasn't just go and get his tongue tie snipped it was well here's some different ways of feeding him here's some different holds that you can try and have you have you considered co-sleeping because if he's not sleeping you can breastfeed in bed and you'll both get more sleep and it'll be less transitional for you both and all of those things she wasn't saying do this she wasn't telling me to go and do it she was giving me the options and that made all the difference and that one that one meeting I am sure saved my sanity Mm. massively it's crazy right because they should know that the first few weeks especially are so stressful for everyone and now they could have just saved time to everyone and peace of mind and like you know poor baby poor new parents just struggling to feed and sleep and well that resonates with me as well because my mom couldn't breastfeed me and they were saying that it was her fault like her breasts weren't bright or whatever but like now I I know that for example like had she gotten a second opinion she would have maybe have had you know less guilt and everything that I don't know it's still something that she thinks about and like for example for my brother and my sister there was uh, no issue apart from my brother it was uh, in terms of quantity it wasn't as much so that's also something to be aware of and like it came with a lot of guilt so there's a lot of stories like that with breastfeeding but I think as long as you know as you said like you're aware of the information so for example you're aware that short supply in milk can cause an issue because like for example it's like she didn't know it was even something to be aware of 
And so my brother got very skinny and then she had the guilt and anyway, she had to use formula to make it up for it. But it's just like, we should be aware that this is just a possibility so that you're able to see to see it when it happens and not when it's a few weeks later and it looks like a little shrimp, you know, all skinny. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's really something to, I, I like how you do it with like all the information and then, you know, when, or if it's uh, helpful, then you're able to just uh, use whatever feels right in the moment. So it's, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Is there uh, any last advice that you would like to share? I think the biggest thing, is question why you're told some, to do something, especially mm. if it doesn't feel right to you, just because it's the way it's always been done. Or my absolute favourite, it worked for you when you turned out okay, or it worked for me and they turned out okay. So like weaning, for example, we've got a childhood obesity crisis, yet we're told that the way that we were weaned was okay. We're forcing mm. children to eat one more bite or finish their plate, not waste food. And then we wonder why they become overweight. Mm. And it goes back all the way to this, the milk feeding as well. You know, if we're, if we're feeding a child based on what we think they need, not based on what they think they need, we're taking away their natural instincts. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the hardest things to do. And parenting is all about trusting ourselves. And we tend to second guess ourselves and, and let the expert make a decision for us. But we are the expert in our own child. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's okay to not know exactly what to do, like, for example, and go to support groups like you did, Kate, because it can be confusing at the beginning. Just be aware of uh, who gives you this advice and how and how often and when. Uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe also just uh, try to, you know, surround yourself with people who are maybe a bit more gentle, like, for example, Amy, for you people like that who are more like mean well but also aren't too assertive or like are going to judge you oh, are you not doing that oh my god no so I think that's also good to reach out for help know when uh, you know of course you're the you're the expert in your child but if you feel like you need support as well feel free to to still uh, get it but uh, be mindful of where yeah, exactly. Because no, at the end of the day, you don't know everything about parenting. Nobody does. You know your child better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And it, you know where, if you know where to get that support, you're going to feel supported. Whereas if you just go and read the books, then you, you can end up feeling even more confused and overwhelmed. Yeah, that's true. I guess, as you said, also the, the preparation that comes beforehand can be useful because then you have more time to be a little bit more thorough and like put thoughts into it, but also having the quick, as you mentioned, like the quick reflex, a little bit like improv class, being able to, you know, get yourself out of a pressing situation and things like that. I think it's good to, to be able to practice and have these, at least be aware of the different techniques so that you can use whichever feels right on the moment. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So thank you so much, Kate. It was very interesting. We will leave the links that of everything that we talked about. So Kate's website and everything else in the description box. Uh, but thank you so, so much, Kate. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. 
If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.